0: Happy Friday, everyone, and welcome back to the Sweet Tea Series. My name is Ariana Silva, and I'm so glad you're here to join us today. Uh, Today, we're going to talk about what happens when you work so hard for something, you're trying to get your goals, and then that doesn't quite happen. What do you do and how do you pivot when life doesn't quite work out how you plan? Well, today, my guest and I, um, we're going to be talking a little bit about that, a personal testimony that involves college and career. And then we're going to talk about some of the crazy DEI stuff happening on university campuses today that we both went through. And finally, wrap it up probably with some reality TV, some dating show and other cultural things. And I'm so excited. Hope you all stick around for all of it. So Grace McCreary right? Is that how you pronounce your last yes, name? Yes. Yes. I didn't even ask you this before nope, the show. That's exactly <laughs> it. Yeah. Good job. So you're the donor relations associate here at the Texas Public Policy Foundation. Welcome to your to the show. This is your first podcast ever. Yes, it is. And thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to be here. So uh, Grace and I, a few weeks ago, we were um, just talking during lunch and she just started telling me a little bit about her background and how she got here. And it was just such an... Um, Moving story that immediately I told her that she had to come on to the show to talk to me about it. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, it's amazing the, how the conversation just flowed between us. And the weird thing was so we both went to UT, mm-hmm. we both graduated in 2022, mm-hmm. and I never knew you, and I don't even think I ever
1: saw you on campus. Yeah, it's a big school. It is, and we were in different colleges. Right. Yeah, but it's still but weird still, because yeah. we
0: were both conservative. Mm-hmm. We both, or er, a ton of my friends, because of that, were like in government, which um that was your major as yeah, well, right? Yeah. And since somehow we didn't cross paths, but then we were like comparing stories of the different (laughs) things that happened at UT. So it's nice knowing like, because sometimes you can feel like you're gaslit by your university with how they do stuff. So I'm like, no, no, I'm not crazy. UT is a little bit wild. Yes. So let's get, let's dive straight into your story. So you majored in government Mm -hmm. and what, you had to double major, right? Yes, I majored in
1: French as well. Don't recommend it. (laughs) I love French, but it was very difficult at UT. The my By senior year, I was like barely hanging on, but got through. I was trying to be different, trying to build a resume for law school, really trying to go the extra mile. Um, that's a pretty common thing for people who are trying to apply to law school. Um, a lot of people are more successful when they are business majors or engineers, especially engineers. They love to see science degrees and engineering degrees when applying to law school. Government is and political science and English are so common. Um, So I tried to throw French in there, but it was they really made me work for it. So a lot of what you
0: did, though, was focused around that aspiration of law school. Yeah. Let's start with that. What's what's your story? How did it Yeah,
1: I mean, my whole life, I wanted to be a lawyer, really. My dad was a lawyer. A lot of people think that I wanted to be a lawyer because of my dad. Um, But it's really not the case. It's just it was my personality. I found myself always kind of sticking up for the little guy in class when I even as a little kid. Um, I was always kind of an articulate little kid. And um, I was passionate about being being fair and not following the rules when the rules didn't make sense. And um, so i that's kind of what I always wanted to do. I felt like it was um, a job that I would find security in throughout life. I knew I would be able to get a job after, after completing law school. And it was like a pipeline that was easy to follow. Go to high school, get good grades, go to college, get good grades, go to law school, get a JD, get a job, make good money, easy peasy. Um, and then with that comes, you know, People praising you, and um, people being proud of you, and a good paycheck that makes you get a big house and a nice car, and the ability to provide for your family, and that all sounded really great to me. Um, but yeah, it didn't quite end up there. <laughs> so
0: along the way, um, one
1: of the other things that I found
0: aspirational was all the little steps that you took to kind of boost your resume. So where are the places that you worked prior to here? Because you're like yeah. you're you're, you're younger, a little younger. So you're 23 right now. Mm-hmm. And just kind of list off the internships because I haven't heard someone with that many before.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I did have quite a few in undergrad. I had, I think, five. Um, I, I, yeah, I had about every quarter of my life. I was joking earlier. I had every quarter of my life planned out for the last six years until this past year. Um, I started out at the Capitol working for Representative Phelan, now Speaker of the House. wasn't then. And then I moved on to the Texas Department of Family Protective Services doing anti-human trafficking, and then I was at the Reagan Institute, also known as the Reagan Presidential Foundation and Library, and um, after that, I was working for, let's see, I know most recently I was working on the George P. Bush campaign for Texas Attorney General, and then right before that, what did I do? It's left me.
0: Weren't you working at the UT for, gradu- or for yes, research? Yes, I did.
1: I was a research intern for the Department of Government at UT. And then there was one more that I did in between there. I
0: think that just highlights how many different things. So yeah. you've, seen, you've been interested yeah. in government mm-hmm. all the way through. That's yes. led you to campaign, to like even working for like um, where you're working in child services, so like mm-hmm. on the actual, um, I guess, in, in these programs. Mm-hmm. So you've seen all those sides of it trying. And all of these were in hopes of you getting to law school. Before this, you've described to me that 2023 you said was the worst year of your life. Mm -hmm. What happened?
1: Yeah, so I got to law school um, and I ended up going to UConn, University of Connecticut. It was my safety school, otherwise known as the school you apply to knowing that you're fairly certain you're going to get in. Um, Basically, when you apply to law school, you look at your LSAT score and your GPA, and there's medians, and you're trying to beat both medians ideally or at least one and in the case of UConn I beat both medians so I was fairly certain I was going to get in and sure enough I did and I received a, a good scholarship um, and then I was on six wait lists and I was really hoping to get off wait lists. the best school I got waitlisted at was Vanderbilt and I was really holding out for that one but it was unlikely um, but I was really advocating for some other schools where it was more realistic and it just didn't happen Um, And so by the end of July, I was having to make the decision whether or not to commit to going to law school in 2022, and I was just eager to go. It's what I had wanted to do my whole life. I didn't understand the value of a gap year and really just was eager to get started. I felt anxiety in that time, but knew that if I just got there and I got the ball rolling, that I'd be able to handle it. And I was a pretty adaptable kid. I'd done, I'd been through so much that I thought, you know, I'll just get there, get the ball rolling, like I said, and and see what happens. Sure enough, I got there and it was not a good time. Um, I, I mean, what didn't go wrong is a really good question. Um, I got there in the middle of a heat wave. Um, no air conditioning because I was living in a house that was 100 years old and they just they don't have that in the Northeast. Um, my dog got kennel cough, my 12 my, my pound little baby that I adore and I'm codependent on. And then I really struggled to get plugged into any sort of community. Um, I didn't really fit in at all because I was one conservative and two, um, a Christian evangelical. And that's just not a demographic you find in Hartford, Connecticut. Um, I tried going to church and there was one church that I found that was like a um, a non-denominational church and it just was not a good fit and so I, I ended up becoming extremely isolated and very 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 depressed and anxious and by the time I came home for Christmas break my parents um were, became concerned. Um, and and depression was something I had struggled with on and off as a teenager, but it was something that I w- had been equipped to handle and knew, and knew how to deal with. And so I had, was actively working to, um, to address it, especially because I was in the middle of finals and I knew I didn't want my mental health to stand in the way of my performance, because at this point I was still trying to chase that dream of being a lawyer. And um, I came home for Christmas and my parents were concerned and they said, Grace, we're not sure if you should go back. Um, it was it, they didn't recognize me and they didn't recognize the, the thoughts I was expressing. And um, yeah, at that point, I, I really kind of realized that was an option that I didn't have to go back. And um, I wrestled with it overnight and the next day was I had a flight to Hartford so I really didn't have a lot of time to wrestle but the next day I thought you know what it's four months it's one more semester I can do it. I went back I had a one week winter course negotiations and I just hated it. I was like I was I was back with the peers that I didn't fit in with that um, that that are lovely people, but I just couldn't connect with at all. And I realized I don't belong here at all. This is not where God wants me to be. And um, I left, I broke down and I I literally left. I gave everything away to Salvation Army that I couldn't fit in in a Yukon. And then I drove the 24 hours back to Texas with my dog and my parents. Was, what was that shift
0: like whenever you've like almost at your identity in this thing and then having that removed
1: yeah i mean it wasn't immediate um that's a good question it wasn't immediate it was coming back to texas it took several months of 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 living in a world that had been completely rocked um i still was not stable necessarily i um I was grappling with like all of the physical side effects of having been in that environment. I had a stomach ulcer, my hair was falling out and I was still just trying to like lower my cortisol, quite frankly. Um, And so uh, it took a while, but once I was able to get a job in Austin where I knew I truly wanted to be, because at this point I was in Dallas where I'm from, I got a job in Austin, moved down where I could be closer to my friends. I was able to plug back into church. And that's truly where my life started to kind of turn around. And um, yeah, I started um, started to heal really truly. And there was a point in time where I remember very distinctly just kind of giving it all up to God and trying to convince myself that my identity is who God says I am. And I remember turning to his word about, who he says that I am. And um that's when things really started to change and I my social anxiety when I would be in social situations with friends who were, you know, extremely successful working for big four consulting firms and thriving and making six figures and having to tell them that I was a now secretary who had dropped out of law school, I just I no longer feared having to give them that answer because I now knew that my who I was in Christ. Um, and so it took time. And who was that person? I'm a child of God. I am, I am. Yeah, I don't, I don't know how to, I don't know how to answer that. I'm a child of God. I am born again. I am free. I am sanctified. I am delivered. I am. Let's talk about what he freed you from. So what were the things whenever you're chasing
0: after law school? What was it that you were really chasing? You mentioned your childhood and you wanted to, to be defending people. Is that what your intentions were along the way or how did that shift at all?
1: Yeah, I think along the way, that's what I was telling myself that I was chasing. But I think during that time period where my world was rocked and I was coming to terms with who my identity truly was, I was also coming to terms with what it is I had been chasing. And that's a very good question. Um, it's something I'm now comfortable with sharing, and you're absolutely right. I was chasing elitism and academia. Um, I was chasing glory. I was chasing influence. I wanted to be important. I wanted to be remembered. I wanted to be in history textbooks. Um, I wanted to reform the child welfare, welf- welfare system. And um, I wanted to be a figure that was, you know, standing on a stage at banquets where people are opening up their checkbook and writing nine figures. You know, like I was chasing something so worldly and so deathly. Um, And I really had to come to terms with that and realize that that was killing me slowly before I could be born again.
0: And one of the reasons why that was really convicting to me is I feel like that's something that Well, during college, there was a period where I was really struggling with what I wanted to do because I realized, like, I'm not living up to what I thought my life would be like. Mm -hmm. And so choosing to surrender that is still something that I feel like at different points in your life you're going to have to do because just as people, we kind of tend in our brokenness, right, to -hmm. to build up these aspirations for ourselves that are very self-focused. And even if we can convince ourselves of, no, it's actually to do good for other people and be a part of it. That's, yeah. And I think it's important for young women to hear about that now and that it's okay that you're – your plans are not his plans, mm-hmm. but that doesn't make them any less.
1: You're absolutely right. In college, especially, I think we get wrapped up in this idea when we're young of wanting to be a part of something, wanting to be a part of a mission. But nowadays, with the um, the narrative of what that mission is, often I think it's wrapped up in identity politics and it can become so self-focused and so self-centered and those identity politics are not often the narrative that God wants us to be a part of, which is his greater plan and is to further his kingdom. And so I would definitely advise when going into college to be wary of what it is our peers are, are 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 listening to and what kind of content they're soaking up and what kind of message they're pushing and what kind of groups they're getting involved in.
0: So the, the ideas that you were saying about what it was that you were reaching for and um, I guess that the pieces of like pride and and elitism mm-hmm. that you've described coming along with that. Is that something that had happened before college, or was that something that, like, with your peers over time,
1: was created? It was definitely something that happened before college. I mean, as early as my junior year of high school, I remember being obsessed with it. like my my first my first mental breakdown was over college applications. I wanted to go to Georgetown. <laughs> and I thought going to the University of Texas at Austin was disappointing. Um, that's how bad it was. And it's an incredible school. And I'm so proud to have gone there now. Um, and I'm grateful to have gone there now is what I really should say. But um, yeah, I, I I, had and I think I that's something I got from my my family, I uh, my siblings. Um, and um, but yeah, going to the University of Texas, it definitely perpetuated it. Um, we the more I spent spent time around people who also wanted to go to graduate school, wanted to go to law school, med school, dentistry, PT school, um, there was this secret language that was spoken amongst people about LSAT scores and MCAT and GMAT and GRE and all these things, and it was like the secret competition. And maybe that was just me. I mean, maybe that was just me that felt that. But I get this. I get the feeling it wasn't just me that felt that. Um, because I know that the mental health rates are insane in all of those industries. The alcoholism abuse rates are insane in all of those industries. Um, So I get the feeling it wasn't just me, but yeah, it definitely was this sense of like, it has to be elite. And even being in the law bubble, it's amazing how much it is perpetuated in that sense all of my professors went to yale or harvard and it was like you could just feel the haughtiness of it all and i was like you guys are like this is so silly i remember actively trying to like kind of be the class clown and just trying to be like we don't need to take life so seriously like we're in contracts class yeah but let's have fun like this is okay and people didn't like that very much um hence why i'm not there anymore but Yeah, it's 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 so stuffy and it's so they're they're chasing something that's never, ever, ever going to fulfill them. Thankful I learned that lesson now and not 20 years from now. And I and I wish other people could learn it, too. Would your life at university have been different
0: if you knew what you knew now?
1: Yes, definitely. I I would not have double majored in French. Um, I would have just kept the minor that I was required to have as a (laughs) liberal arts major you're required to get a minor. And I would have just kept the minor. Um, and I maybe would have taken more electives. I would have explored other things. I would have, I would have, I would have taken more apparel classes. I took fashion classes. I learned how to sew better. Um, I would have taken more tennis classes. I would have done other things. I would have been more human. That's one thing I learned about myself coming out of law school is like, I just need to be human again, like, and not be so robotic. And, um, I think I missed out on that aspect of the four years. Now, I had plenty of fun. I had too much fun um, at times. But yeah, there was definitely aspects of the academic part that I that could have been more human had I known that for sure. Yeah. And um,
0: was there anything else to this uh, secret language that you talked about with the grad school and people going to law school? Um, what Was it something where it was just the way that they talked about it? Or was that really perpetuating like the sort of elitism that you're talking about?
1: Yeah, it was it was perpetuating and perpetuating an elitism and a sense of competition. Um, I can remember just feeling icky walking away from talking about people who were going to LSAT prep classes or um, talking about like when LSAT scores came out or talking about people who are studying talking with people who are studying for the MCAT and all of those things and what schools they wanted to go to and and all in all, like what's not talked about enough is the people who are so incredibly successful by the standards that that these very people would would uh, adhere to um, that didn't go to those T-14 schools, so to speak. like who went to Megyn Kelly, one of my heroes, went to Albany Law. Like there are so many people out there who did not go to these prestigious Ivy League schools who are so incredibly successful. And that is not a narrative that is that is pushed enough as much as it should. Um, These schools are like increasingly inaccessible and overpriced and like teaching the most crazy ideology possible um and it's it's insane and um were there to be a more honest discussion of 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 what's what's possible in terms of your career with more moderate schools in terms of prestige it would probably be better for everybody yeah and even though you
0: went down this path and um it you still had this chance to build up your resume in a very Mm -hmm. specific way that i think and basically seeing it from an outside of point of view led you to where you are now. So how are those skills that you learned with that something that's um, been something that God's used to guide you to where you are now?
1: Yeah, I mean, I definitely. So I after my big identity crisis, um, trying to build from the ground up, I spent a year um, working in the law area because it was really all, all I had to 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 build off of. Um, But that gave me a year to kind of get back on my feet and learn how to advocate for myself using what was on my resume. So I, I knew now I had my identity in Christ, and I knew now walking into interviews and walking into the job application process that I didn't have a lot to be nervous about because I knew no matter what, walking away, it was all going to be okay. God was going to open the doors for me that he was going to open. And so I just tried to remember what I was capable of what got me those internships what got me the next internship what did i do well what was i praised for Um, those types of things i try to remember those attributes about myself and try to advocate for myself in those regards in the job interview Um, and it's a hard thing to do i definitely recommend practicing it before your interviews you can't just go into it and say nothing right but you have you definitely have to go into it with a posture of God's got this, you know, if they don't want me, it's okay. I don't want them, you know. Um, and I think that has allowed me to walk through doors where then I have been able to further God's kingdom in ways that I will only be able to see in eternity, you know. Um, I've been able to I what I think feels like minister to people in mustard seed like ways. Um, and um, it feels really good and it feels much more fulfilling than anything i was ever set out to do had i continued law school yeah so it seems like you found
0: ways to minister to people in the jobs that you did take on mm-hmm. after that so what's the thing that keeps you um working in so you know you you majored in government all mm-hmm. of your jobs have been somewhat related to that but after your crisis with with law, why do you continue to like pursue jobs that are government or, in our case, policy-related? Yeah.
1: Well, I'm still a nerd for policy. I always <laughs> will be. Um, I still want to make society better. Um, and I ultimately hope to still make the child welfare system better um, one day, Maybe. Um, is that something that
0: drives you, like, because, you know, I think at the beginning you talked about this idea of being self-focused versus mission-focused. Is that the realignment to where it's now a mission-focused
1: thing? Yeah, absolutely. And now it's just more like trying to do things that honor God and less honor me, right? So, and I'm still terrible at that every day. I'm still honoring me every day in a way that doesn't honor God, um, And it's still something I have to actively engage in and remind myself Um, more and more now I'm trying to just train my thoughts on God, I think. Um, It's less about the big decisions that I'm trying to make that honor God and more just about the daily thoughts I'm trying to train onto Him. That's such a good,
0: helpful, practical thing that you can Mm -hmm. do because it's not a big step. It's about the little tiny Mm -hmm. steps to add up to that. Um, speaking about the mission versus self-focusing, so while we were at UT, it seems like we were just in different kinds of circles, but something that I noticed about the people who I hang around and learned a lot from as a result of it, um, so I was in an organization called Young Conservatives of Texas, mm-hmm. and um, whenever I was there, and, and this is probably just because I it just so happened that a lot of them were just really great people, Um. They were very mission-focused about the changes that they wanted to see in Texas and America. And so when they were pushing their selves, themselves forward, even if they went out into – so some of them did go to law school. But mm-hmm. some of them were just there because they were, like, politics nerds, like you were saying. Yeah. And then they went on to do, like, finance or whatever the other stuff that they were majoring in. um. But it was interesting continuing to see them, to like, focus on here's the thing that I want to change. And for a lot of them, especially the people who I admire most and, and looked up to and helped build me up to who I am now, it was that mission focus of when they were driving into these things that I think made them into excellent people versus chasing it for themselves and trying to find a mission to support it but along the way.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I 100% stand with that. I, I, And I don't blame a lot of the people in undergrad who are so self-focused when it comes to trying to chase these social justice causes um they're like a lot of them don't know better um and it feels good to be a part of social justice so i why, think what
0: do you think makes social like the we talk about the social justice yeah. warrior just all assumed. the dei stuff yeah. yeah but i was just gonna say what do you think about it to you feels more or looks more self-focused
1: versus mission focused Right. So going back to what I said earlier, it's that identity politics thing. It's like me. It's like I deserve this because of what I went through. And and I know that's, I don't know. I, I don't want to. It's I don't know. I'm just I can just remember distinct times in undergrad where people would would have an opinion and it would be that they felt they deserved to have a seat in the conversation simply because of the color of their skin or where they came from geographically or how much money their parents made or what the immigration status of they or their parents is and it's like that shouldn't really matter in terms of what your opinion is um it's a weird form
0: of oppression entitlement Exactly. Does that make sense? So, like, there's the entitlement that comes from, like, this desire for wealth and, like, maintaining status and having that social status. Yeah. And like people who are on the low end of that almost made a new identity for themselves to be able to attain that sort of identity
1: status. Right. And that became identity politics. Because on the other side of that is, okay. so now people who don't have that identity don't get an opinion is exactly that's the implication of what you're saying. Um, And so then they're just shut out of the conversation, but then you're creating an echo chamber for yourself. And that continued on from UT to my law school. I remember just, I remember sitting with my friends um, that I made in law school. I did have a great group of girlfriends. They were very sweet. Um, And I remember going, you guys, this place really is an echo chamber. And they were like, what are you talking about? And I was like, there's really just one dialogue that we have at this school. And they were like, I kind of don't know what you mean. And I'm like, yeah, because you guys are a part of it like you don't know if you don't know if you don't have the lens
0: so they didn't even have the concept of there being another view that there could be to have no
1: no I remember being in torts and my 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 professor was making a uh uh she was talking about a case and about proper somebody coming on your property and getting injured and negligence blah blah and um she's presenting one side of it and then presenting another side of it and she goes and that's the libertarian point of view whole whole class breaks out cackling and laughter and I, i'm like why was that funny why was that funny why is it funny to be libertarian <laughs> like, so it either doesn't exist or it's mocked is yeah what you're saying? yeah and so i'm like that's the echo chamber part guys Is like you don't even hear it because you only want to hear your part and that's that was born out of these undergrad institutions like ut where we went Um, And it's a shame, really, because when our parents, when my parents went to UT, it was much less like this. Right. And we went in a really
0: weird time, too. Mm
1: -hmm. So even a few years before we went, like,
0: well, not just COVID, I was going to go back to whenever we were doing our orientation. Mm -hmm. So we both entered school in 2018. Even, I think, a few years before that, the program that we had to go through during orientation didn't exist yet. Mm -hmm. Do you remember what was the name of it? You remember the name, right?
1: Horns Up, Hearts
0: Open. Yep. But I remember. It started from, like, these groups that we were in for our mm-hmm. orientation. Everyone was put into groups. And I remember on the first day, there was a the really weird thing where we had to go around and say our names, mm-hmm. our pronouns. Mm-hmm. um, And then, like, the our fun major. fact. Yeah, major yeah. and, like, whatever, fun fact. Yeah. And I remember thinking... I was confused about the pronoun thing. I was confused about the pronouns.
1: Yeah. I had never heard that before. And I was from Dallas. It wasn't like I was from some podunk rural town. But I literally whispered to the girl next to me. I was like, what is What do they mean? Our preferred pronouns? (laughs) Like my favorite pronoun? We? Like (laughs) we us? I don't know. Um, She like. And then everybody said she her. And so I was like, oh, she her. okay." What? Yeah. And then I remember in my French class later, somebody was talking about being a cis woman. Never heard of that like it's yeah. wild really but yeah sorry horns up hearts open yeah
0: but that was just so weird and i i've heard from other people who weren't in the liberal liberal arts colleges they didn't get that as much yeah but for me like i was in moody which was mm-hmm. the comms college mm-hmm. every single class you started mm-hmm. out with that and we had a lot of oh sorry microphone that's sorry hidden. microphone <laughs> But we had so many people go by or we had she they's or he they's. And I had so many TAs who were they thems. And my strategy for that and like actually just like a piece of advice I should probably give to anyone. um, The best way, in my opinion, to handle that is to use names, use names. Mm -hmm. It's not the kind of it's not the time to make that sort of stand. Mm -hmm. Um, And I also think that there could be. You don't I I feel like it's an issue where I don't know what's going on in someone's life. I might right. not be at the right position right now to bring that up for them. Right.
1: Use their names but don't compromise your values basically. Right, exactly. And and I've I've listened to people like I've listened to pastors say different things about it. I've listened to people say you it's unloving to use pronouns that they weren't born with and I've 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 also heard pastors say whatever's going to bring them to church and bring them to Jesus use. You know, so it's like you're gonna hear different things and I think you're exactly right don't compromise on your values use names try to just get through and, and remember that you don't know what they're going through at home. Right.
0: And then whenever you have like an and once it becomes a personal friendship, I feel like that's when people are more right. open to you. Um, actually, weird thing that mm-hmm. did happen to me. So while I was in um, in my films class, especially for my like freshman and sophomore year, I was pretty quiet about my political opinions because mm-hmm. at that point, I was um, just really wanting. At that point, I still wanted to do the Hollywood stuff, go yeah. through all those sorts of things. Um, And so i was like you know i just i just want to be in hollywood for like maybe five years before coming back to texas but i just need to find a way to yeah do that so i didn't say anything about my political opinions then i was doxxed which um i think it was like at the end of my freshman year wow but after that i was like well at this point now i don't know if i'll be able to get hollywood jobs if there's stuff about me on the internet so oh well i'll just know that I have to do conservative stuff and after that I became a little bit more outspoken mm-hmm. Um, but when that started happening um, I remember I was just it was talking with a small group in class and I just brought up something about what I thought and they were like wait you're a conservative and I was like yeah I am and this girl was like but you're so nice yeah and was just shocked that someone yeah. could have a different opinion from them or that anyone who was you know right of center would be a kind person yeah so it really is the echo chamber of the yes when they hear about these views it's someone who's mean cruel hates people yeah
1: Yeah. that was and that would that would honestly during covid that would honestly a lot of times paralyze me is that fear of um people thinking that i'm a mean person or that i'm a homophobe or a transphobe or an islamophobe or you, anything, name it. Like I was so terrified that people would think that about me and I'm a people pleaser. And so it would hold me back a lot of the time from um, expressing views. But other times, I think along those lines, people would think that people would think I'm stupid or I mean, stupid's a harsh word. People would think I'm um, unintelligent because I'm conservative. I remember a time we were talking about COVID and because um, I was in this COVID class. it's it's It was a wild class. It was a liberal arts honors seminar class. We were talking about COVID. The whole thing was a leftist indoctrination class. We could have a whole podcast about it. Um, and, and I remember saying, the wording of this prompt is so interesting, how they're asking us to battle the government about um, asking for more mandates and asking for more blah, blah, blah. And um, I remember saying pushing back on that. And a a girl who was a a science major goes, well, I understand how that might be because I'm a science major. And so I'm more comfortable with science and I trust science. And so I believe in science and I believe that when um, I read statistics that they are are what they say they are. I'm like, yeah, I know what statistics are, babe. Like I've read them too. Um, they're You're all, like we're talking about policy like yeah, and I and there was there was more context there where we were talking about science But I'm like, no, I I know what science is just because I'm a gov major Doesn't mean I don't understand what science is, but it was like, oh, she really thinks that I Don't Understand that and she thinks that just because I differ on a view that it's because I'm not capable of seeing it from her point of view Um, And that's how much the media has brainwashed that side of things and how much our universities have brainwashed those things. Man, we could have a whole podcast on that class. It was wild.
0: I'm glad that now there's been policy kind of moving away from DEI and trying Mm -hmm. to wrangle institutions. But whenever we went into UT, um, this is kind of going back to the orientation stuff, we had to sit down and watch these presentations, which I had forgotten about Mm -hmm. (laughs) until you brought them Mm -hmm. up the other day. What were some of the subjects that we watched with those
1: presentations? for like the horns up hearts open one. right
0: like because it was people acting yeah. different scenes out on stage dealing with different stuff so it was little things yeah. like they'd have a scene where the one that I remember was like yeah. don't leave your backpack unattended someone can
1: steal your stuff and, and then it's, like, it okay, would get stolen because it's like we're a good university and we have an honor code and don't steal backpacks right like that's like the lesson they were trying to get across oh but, that one I didn't remember I thought they were just saying like oh be responsible for your stuff
0: but oh okay maybe yeah. maybe, maybe so I'm just saying they had some less bad things where it's like orientation sorry
1: microphone <laughs> but yes but it was like the whole point was that like in that one it was like a hispanic male and then it would be like a trans woman and and, and then it would pop up to another spotlight of a um islamic refugee and then it would be like it would be all of these minority representations and the whole time the blonde christian girl who's going around and bouncing around through all these skits is like dumb and like saying the wrong thing and getting in you know offending people and i'm like sitting here watching this and i'm like okay, so the way I'm being represented in this is dumb, offensive, um, that I don't know what I'm doing, and that I'm mean and and hateful. And I'm like, that's not true because the, the real religion that I subscribe to and the ideology that I subscribe to is that I would love all of these people. So it just was like, I don't think the person who wrote this script knows Jesus.
0: Yeah, that was <laughs> one of the other skits I was talking about. And I think it's so funny because I think the university thought that they were being generous towards Christians. Yeah. And I, it felt like what they were saying is, oh, Christians are just ignorant. They just don't know. And so mm-hmm. we'll teach them and fix them. Mm-hmm. And I, at least for me, that was the message that I got out of the script. Yeah. And I think they thought they were being generous by saying, oh, they just don't know that they're wrong about
1: yeah. this. And it was definitely like... a rude awakening to what UT Austin. And in have. your
0: wording, it's like, no, babe, maybe you're wrong.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. But not all
0: universities... Are like that, and exactly. especially now, where there's a little bit of a pivot. So, a KXAN um, article reported about a new university um, mm-hmm. called University of Austin. So, someone said fr- that uh, from U UATX, students will be fully immersed in a classical college learning experience, consisting of the discovery, transmission, and preservation of knowledge, while also learning how to build, create, and innovate for the future. So new university that's very focused on this kind of classical education, very free speech focused. Yeah.
1: What a concept, right? <laughs> um, yeah, I think that's that's a lot in line with one of our liberty action agenda items um, here at TPPF, too, is trying to reengage the idea of having a true discourse in colleges again. Um, I am grateful for the professors who did encourage that. Um, I remember professors who I still am very confident were um left leaning um but they still like encouraged my opinion um when it was when it was discussion based and seminar based classes, but it was few and far between and there and the the times where I was ostracized really far outweighed the times where so I'm very grateful that somebody like I think it's Elon Musk who's who kind of kick No, started... he's making a different school. So oh. there's multiple schools
0: right now. Oh. Actually, so that's another good point. Okay. So yeah, another news update. He's, um, But his school, if I'm not mistaken, is going to be more STEM focused. Oh, okay. Yes, but the good thing is, though, that there's different um, university options for people. Love it. What, and it, I think it just does kind of create some sort of competition for these major universities. And even yeah. if it's not yet, it's highlighting that there can be good quality education That's not pushing DEI agendas and trying to sneak it in even like around legislation. Yeah, 100%. So, yeah, that's good both if you're into liberal arts and like like you're saying the STEM one. Yeah, absolutely. So those um, are both awesome things that are happening. The other thing that we wanted to get to today, Mm -hmm. we very obviously, as we see in the universities, have a very broken culture. Yeah. The way that I've been seeing that kind of playing out recently is on reality tv because yeah, because, yeah. which it might be a weird transition but i was watching um love is blind the last season just yeah, came out yeah i started it too oh you did and you've <laughs> yeah. been also watching is a bachelor happening right now right yes bachelor oh joey he's so
1: cute i love him
0: <laughs> yeah but it's it's really weird um watching the culture play out because i feel like reality tv um it, it pinpoints a piece of culture <sighs> that first of all it makes yeah. people want to watch yeah. Second yeah all there's people willing to engage themselves it does, But because it sells, I think that kind of highlights the fact that this is what our culture looks like. And even mm-hmm. if it's an exaggerated version, it kind of puts a magnifying glass on what's actually there. 100%. And the weird thing, so one of the good things that identifies is that there's people who are searching for love mm-hmm. and are trying to break free of the, like, stuff from culture to try to find it, which is why they're going on to these dating shows to begin with. Mm-hmm. The bad thing about it is the way that it teaches and, like, creates the environment for people to date in my opinion kind of sets them up for failure
1: yeah absolutely the bachelor first of all you should never be dating multiple women at one time a woman should never be dating multiple men at one time that's just not how it should work so by design it's terrible (laughs) a woman should never have to pursue a man but that's so by design inherently flawed that's kind of why the idea of the bachelorette i've never seen the bachelorette yeah.
0: and that's part of the reason is it, yeah. to me it feels like she's the one in charge controlling these but relationships
1: 100 percent. but then on the bachelor the way i the, at least historically how i've seen it work sorry microphone <laughs> is over the years is the women who are successful in earning the heart of the bachelor are the ones who express their feelings head first strong early fast aggressively and then, then and so they really are the ones pursuing. So it's 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 just so messed up.
0: I was talking today uh, with someone about the fact that we have women who are I guess trying to act like men and hope that that will lead them to success. Yeah. And I was almost defending it because it was a guy who I was talking to and I was saying, but we have a generation of weak men. Yeah. And so women are having to in certain ways step up. And so I feel like it's yeah. kind of a, an issue that we're seeing on both sides where we have women who aren't letting men be men, but we don't have men stepping up to the plate to allow women yeah. to be women.
1: It's like, what more can you do as a woman? Men out there, let me know. Um <laughs> like I'm trying to, okay, so I'm single, you're engaged. Congratulations, love you so much. So happy for you. Um, <laughs> teach me your ways because I'm like over here over trying to do everything I can to just make myself into the best, you know, future wife and mother I was talking to somebody earlier about this and um yeah but I'm not going to chase right like so it's like what more am I supposed to do
0: I I mean anyway is an actual question that's the
1: question of the of the sundry. I
0: will just say for my relationship it was really weird timing and it was um so I I feel like at multiple times in my life, for so many years, especially in my adulthood, I was in a relationship. And so finding myself in singleness mm-hmm. and really um in at one point after a relationship where I really thought it was gonna lead to marriage mm-hmm. and it didn't, that's kind of where um where I realized I'd put a lot of my identity in someone else and something mm-hmm. that I uh, should have been placing that in God instead. You're right. And so in that time of singleness, it was this really weird identity shift where I had to realize that I am a whole and complete person, yeah, made in the image of likeness of God even on my own, and kind of just surrender that sort of timing and for the first time be like, you know, I'm not gonna keep trying to, yeah, um, like I would do these little things where I would whenever I was single of like, okay, well let me just be around people who would like want to ask me out and be prioritizing yeah. doing things around that, yeah, just to do them. And then, uh. I was doing Bible study stuff with a group of women and we would those sorts of conversations would come up and over time I just realized I have to let go I have to let go and then all of a sudden there was a week where I'm like I enjoy my singleness there's so Mm -hmm. many gifts that I can have right now that aren't going to exist for me in the future and I'm okay with that and God I embrace this season in my life yes and then
1: a few days later I met Tony no (laughs) okay first of all that's literally the cutest thing I've ever heard and second of all, you're so right. And it's true. And there are days that I feel that absolutely. Um, I remember especially this past summer, I really felt that. I because I was there's so much more time that you have to be able to serve your church. Um, I'm able to be around children and really serve children and help other my families that I babysit for and serve them and serve my friends and serve my family. And it, it and I won't be able to do that once I have a family of my own. So it is very, very true. Um, but selfishly and sinfully, I do idolize marriage. So things I'm working on personally. And but... I think idolize, because um, it is good
0: to see marriage as like this this ideal and something that you were created for, especially mm-hmm. if that's your calling. Yeah. But you can't see it as the thing that's going to fix you. No. Because it can't. Yeah, it can't. Wow. I feel like we were able to cover so much. And the, the, the core of it is don't place your identity in something that can fix that that's fleeting yeah it will will only lead to death so what is something that you would give as a piece of advice for a college girl right now um who's chasing after a career how can you be what would you what is something that they can do
1: to maintain their mission focus versus a self-focus yeah i would i would say just remember that no matter how hard you try and i said this to my very best friend the other day um she's going to be so successful and I know it because she's brilliant and she's gorgeous and she's got the most amazing personality ever Um, and I said this to her I said no matter how hard you try the doors that God is going to open are going to be the doors that God opens and the ones that are going to stay shut are going to be the ones that stay shut so don't try to force them Um, you're going to have to surrender control and remember that the most fulfilling things in life are going to be the ones that don't revolve around you. Um, the You get the most out of helping others. We are social creatures by design. And so if you can plug into a community where you can, you can help others, I think that's where you'll get the most out of it. And God will open those doors too. Um, he'll open doors where you can have community and Christian friendship, where you can Find the love of your life and build a relationship with God at the center of it. I'm hoping for that door to open soon, <laughs> maybe in the next five years, God willing. Um, yeah. So I would I would just remember that no matter how hard you try, the doors that are going to open are going to open and the ones that aren't aren't. And that's OK. You know, God's plan is going to be the best plan for you. And it's going to be the one that makes you the happiest. Amen to that. Thank you so much for being
0: willing today to open up, have that sort of raw testimony. Yeah, for sure. And for everyone else, thank you so much for joining us. As always, we will see you next Friday.